1: Guys, welcome back to another episode of Investor Intelligence, brought to you by the team at the Property Mentors, it's your weekly podcast for all things investment and hosted by me, Phoebe Sikowski Wallace. My co-host today is none other than our investment expert, Luke Harris, and even though he's been on many episodes and the podcast is almost a year old, it's actually the first time that we're recording face-to-face in our brand new studio. Welcome, Luke. How nice to have you here.
2: Thanks, Fabi. It's nice to be in your, your brand new fancy studio.
1: I know, very fancy. So get us started. Tell us what you've been up to. Have you got any updates for us?
2: Well, it's been an interesting few months, obviously, with a lot of media noise. There's been a lot of talk of interest rates uh, rising because they have been. And, and of course, there's a lot of talk about uh, prices dropping around the country. Mm. There's a lot of talk about builders going broke and, and uh, developers having delays. So t- for a lot of people, it's actually, you know, things are up in the air quite a bit more than they normally are.
1: Yeah, yeah. There's a lot happening for sure. So it is time to do another Frequently Asked Questions episode. It has been a while since we've um, done one of these, and we've had some fantastic questions submitted via our website since our last FAQ app. So thank you to the listeners who have submitted these. Um, And if you have a question that you'd like to ask Luke, you can head to the FAQ section on the Investor Intelligence website, and I'll make sure to put a link in the show notes for that. Luke, shall we get straight into them? Let's get into it. So the first one's uh, from Shona, and it's a nice sort of easy one, and it's um, we've we've definitely mentioned this before, but I don't think we've gone into detail of it, um, and that is what is capital gains tax.
2: Capital gains tax is an interesting question. Uh, look, capital gains tax is basically a tax on your profit, and look, the governments love to get their hands in your pockets, and mm-hmm. they love to take wherever they can. They get you with GST, and they get you with stamp duty, and capital gains tax, unfortunately, is yet another tax. Um, I. I do understand the the reason they charge capital gains tax on not just property but they charge it on you know any investment that that makes a profit if you buy you know shares and you make a profit there's a capital gains tax it, it is just a tax and t- to me it's a cost of doing business now I don't I don't love paying tax but I do pay tax because we have to mm. capital gains tax essentially is the the difference between or the capital gain I should say is the, the difference between what you've paid for the asset and what you sell it for. So if you buy a property for five hundred thousand, you sell it for seven hundred thousand, your capital gain is two hundred thousand dollars. Mm-hmm. That's in in very round numbers, of course. Sure. Um, and you get taxed on the profit. You don't get taxed on the seven hundred thousand. You get taxed on the two hundred thousand. Yeah. So the, the difference between what you bought it for and what you sell it for. Obviously, there's some um, uh, checks and balances along the way because if you've claimed depreciation, there's some addbacks there. Um, if you've uh, had some other losses, um, for example, if you've got uh, selling costs, right? If you're selling your property for $700,000, you have got other costs of doing that. You pay your real estate agent and your, uh, your lawyer or conveyancer, um, no doubt you pay your accountant. So all of those costs come off that. Um, and if you've held the property for more than 12 months, then there's a capital gains tax discount. So without going into all of the tax laws and discussing uh, specific tax advice, uh, of course, we're just giving general information here. But essentially, your accountant will do your projections on uh, capital gains tax outcomes and uh, how much your liability is going to be. Whenever I'm looking at selling a property, uh, generally I keep them. But if I do sell a property, I use uh, Augur Investor to actually mm-hmm. do a report, and that'll actually show my my selling costs. So if I did um, if I did want to sell that property, I can go to Augur Investor, um, put in all of the figures on the property, and that'll give me an outcome showing me what my capital gains tax uh, liability is going to be if I chose to sell the property. And that way, I can take that to my accountant and have an informed conversation with them and really discuss those details on how that looks for me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, of course, like I said, my my strategy is to buy and hold. So obviously you only pay capital gains tax when you're actually selling a property. So if you're getting in the business of, of buying and selling property and like a lot of people like the idea of flipping properties, mm. uh, it can be a very, very expensive exercise in you know the fact that you've got costs on the way in, you've got holding costs, you've got selling costs. And if you're flipping, generally you've got renovation costs and other things in there as well. And then, of course, if and when you make a profit, uh, you're taxed on that as well. So flipping properties and I guess trading in and out of properties can be a very expensive exercise and everyone has their hand in their pocket. You've got your real estate agent who makes money when you sell. You've got the stamp duty, the state government's taking money, your capital gains tax, the f- tax, the federal government. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, of course, you've got your conveyances and lawyers all taking their little bit as well. So it can really strip out your profits. Uh, so buying and holding property, is, is really powerful and it means that you're obviously not uh, uh, realising again You can still make money on your portfolio, refinance and access your equity, but you only pay that capital gains tax when you actually sell the property and dispose of the asset.
1: Mm. Okay, so it's the tax on the profit when you sell an asset. Do you do you see a lot of that? Because I remember there's a stat of you know a lot of investors they buy but then they sell within something like the first five years. And is that do you think that's because they're not quite aware of something like capital gains tax as opposed to something like a buy and hold strategy?
2: I think people that sell within the first five years, which according to the data seems to be most people, mm. um, may not be selling necessarily with being ignorant to the capital gains tax liability, but it's often that uh, they have to sell because of other circumstances. Mm -hmm. So they might sell because of their personal situation. And I guess their tax obligation is a secondary consideration. It's not really the first thing that they're thinking about. So you know, partner loses their job. Often people will say, well, let's just sell the investment property and we can free up some money that way. And then the capital gains tax is a secondary consideration. They go, well, Either they don't know about it because they don't plan for it mm-hmm. uh, and they might sell the property thinking they can free up all this money. The accountant does their tax return and says, hey, you owe all this money in, in capital gains tax to the tax office. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of people don't factor those things in because they're not experienced investors and they don't even think that they have to speak to their accountant first. Yeah. Um, hopefully people have factored that in if they're going to do that. But of course, a buy and hold strategy, you're not having to worry about that.
1: Yeah. Okay. Well, there you go. There's another important reason to have an accountant that is uh, well-versed in property investment then. All right. So the next question is... Thank you, Shona, for that question. The next question is anonymous. They uh, didn't want to leave a name. That's okay. Is it better to have all your home loans with one lender or should you spread yourself across different banks or lenders in this case? This is a great question.
2: Yeah, that is a good question. A lot of people look then people might have a relationship with a particular person at a bank or their friend works for a bank or a lender uh, and they might think that you know having all of your uh, loans with one lender has some particular benefit. I remember you know as a kid, people had dolomite accounts and that sort of the whole concept with the banks was that people would stay with that bank for forever, and family members of mine you know oh, we've been with the bank forever. It's a very different market to what it used to be, and there is no real loyalty from the bank side. So I don't see why people should have loyalty back to the banks. Uh, If you're running your property portfolio like a business, it makes sense to go and find the best deal uh, on on your loans when you're applying for a loan. So Mm -hmm. having all of your lending with one particular lender doesn't usually make sense for most people.
1: Okay, what are Um, some of the risks of that then?
2: Look, the the risks around that is that they've all got their own policies. So Westpac, NAB, CBA, ANZ, the big four, they will have policies that change week to week, month to month, almost day to day even. And if you're with one of those lenders or any other lender, you might be restricted, restricted to the policies that they have at the time. And that could massively affect your wealth creation because one lender might give you a certain cap. Mm -hmm. A a completely different lender might give you another cap, which might be higher. And if you spread your risk with uh, your exposure to to lenders between multiple lenders, you might find that you can have a a slightly higher borrowing capacity by spreading that out. And that allows you to grow your portfolio faster. Whereas if you're only dealing with one bank, uh, it's like if you go do all your shopping at Coles, uh, you'll never see what's on special at Woolworths mm. because you're only doing your shopping at Coles. I know, you know, Aaron and yourself, and you know, buying chocolate and myself, we <laughs> had this conversation during the week, right? When the chocolate's on special, right, you know where to go. But that's why you've got to shop around because that's how you're going to get the best deal. And if you use that very simple example, if you do all your shopping at one supermarket um, – you know you're going to miss out on specials elsewhere, and I think that's probably the best thing. Always talk to a qualified mortgage broker. Yeah. Uh, even if you are looking at staying with the same lender, and you've got some particular re- relationship that you love the the colours of a particular bank, or if there's some other reason why you like working with one particular bank, but often uh, some of the risks working with that is that you're only getting part of the story because they're only going to tell you what uh, parameters that that bank is working with. Um, but also, uh, some banks will essentially stitch you up in that there's clauses in the mortgage documents called the all monies clause. And an all monies clause is buried well deep into the, the mortgage documents. And what that means is even if you've got separate loans for properties uh, with those uh, that particular bank, the all monies clause is buried into the mortgage documents that basically says if you default on one loan, we can recall all of them.
1: That's what I was just about to ask. Okay. And that
2: that really is a risk because if Mm. you've got all of your lending with one lender, they've basically got full control over your portfolio. Okay. And uh, I don't like that. I certainly make sure I spread my risk and I use a a very experienced mortgage broker with uh, Chelsea at Crown Mm -hmm. Finance and um, Chelsea makes sure that my risk is spread uh, not just with my borrowing, but also with the lenders that are lending me that money so that uh, I have choice of, of who to work with. And of course, their rules are changing around borrowing and, and what their parameters are all the time. Mm. Uh, different money markets and different exposure to investors, uh, different exposure to um, to international money markets and uh, business lending and consumer lending. So they're always changing their policies and adjusting uh, what their exposure is to investment properties specifically. And, um, you know, because that's a dynamic market and it's always changing, uh, it it means you need to keep your finger on the pulse. And the best way to do that, instead of reading all of their policies mm. yourself, Drainer. Yeah. and it, well, you would never do it because there's so many of them and you would almost have to be an expert doing it every day. And that's why we use an external mortgage broker that specializes in investor lending because it's so powerful to have that information at your fingertips. And I can't read all of the uh, lenders' policies because they're changing so frequently. But again, because we're in the property market all day, every day, we're buying properties every week, we're in the marketplace, we're negotiating, the same thing your mortgage broker is doing with the the lenders, Mm. they're actually going out there and understanding the policies, the changes, which ones have an appetite for investor lending, which ones don't. And that's really powerful that you can tap into that, Um, whereas your, um, I guess, your relationship manager at a bank they're not going to you go to Westpac they're not going to talk about ANZ products and that's you know potentially leaving a big hole in your investment strategy
1: that's really good to know especially with the multiple home loans thing um, because i can see why people would just keep going back to that one bank they might think it's just a bit easier or a bit tidier and you've got everything in one place but that's really really good to know and so relieving that you have someone like a mortgage broker to do all that stuff for you because that is that sounds like the biggest headache
2: so the other thing as well is that banks will sometimes cross-securitize your loans. Um, so similar to the all monies clause that can be in the, the mortgage documents, you can actually have um, the loans actually cross-securitized. So you're actually using one property as security for the next one. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, unless you know how to read the mortgage documents and you're, or you're getting advice on those mortgage documents, you might find that you've actually cross-securitized your loans with the same lender, uh, which has a similar effect if you default on one of course, they can take the whole thing from you. So you essentially need to, as a professional investor, you want to separate your risk and make sure that you've, uh, I guess, balanced your portfolio across multiple lenders.
1: Mm, very good to know. And thank you for exposing mine and Aaron's chocolate addiction as well. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So the next question is from Abdul. And this is, this is one I'm really excited for you to answer because it's something that I hear the mentors being asked all the time. And... Um, We have an upcoming guest who is a developer, and we covered the difference between an investor and a developer, which is sometimes something that people can conflate. And even though on paper it seems quite obvious, it's still quite confusing because there are a lot of similarities. But this question is, what is the difference between a property mentor and a buyer's advocate? Because I think these two are the ones that get mixed up all the time.
2: Yeah, well, look, I guess if you looked out for property mentors, there's actually not many out there. Mm. So a lot of people are used to a buyer's advocate or, or a you know, buyer's agent, as they're, they're often known in Australia. Um, a property mentor is different in the sense that uh, the property mentoring approach is, is very much around your long-term goals and more of a long-term approach. Uh, a buyer's agent or a buyer's advocate will go out there and look at a, a specific set of parameters based on a property Whereas a mentor is going to be looking at the investor, Mm. okay? And the property is obviously a consideration and a mentor is going to be factoring in a a more of a holistic approach to your investing as a long-term approach, whereas a buyer's agent is there for a one-off transaction. Okay. So looking at the two side by side is if you know exactly what you want, uh, I want a four-bedroom, two-bathroom house between $900,000 and a million dollars, it must have a pool and a double garage, I'd like a block of land that's at least 600 square meters, and it must be within two kilometers of a train station. And this is the rough area that I want to look at, and here's the suburbs that I'm interested. That's what you would tell your buyer's agent or your buyer's advocate, and then they would go out there and use their networks to try and find that property. They would present that property to you. You would make a decision, and they will help you to negotiate and purchase the property. Mm. Once that has uh, transaction has taken place, that's it. You've got no ongoing relationship. You might like the buyer's agent. you might send them a Christmas card, probably not. Uh, they might send you a Christmas card, probably not. <laughs> it's usually a very transactional uh, type thing in that you know once that transaction's done, you've kind of finished with each other. Okay. There's no real need. And a buyer's agent will know that for most people, you're probably not going to do that transaction again for many years. So I guess from that perspective, that's pretty much done and dusted. Every now and then you might find somebody that has a buyer's agent, they might buy a property every year or every two years. Um, But again, buyer's agents usually specialize in a particular area and have a very niche approach to what suburbs they're looking at. Um, Property mentor on the other side uh, is really focused on the long-term goals, focusing on you as the investor, understanding your goals, but also helping you with putting together your expert team which includes your mortgage broker solicitor, financial planner, quantity surveyor, tax depreciation expert, and the list goes on uh, to, to help you actually build your portfolio, teach you about how to become a better investor, challenge you along the way and keep you accountable, and really help you for the long term. And having those little conversations along the way help you get out of your comfort zone and, and really be there by your side over a longer period of time. And that's why a mentor is so powerful because there's not really many companies out there that actually do what we do here at the Property Mentors. There's a lot of people that claim to be property mentors, but they're essentially there to flog your property uh, and they call themselves a mentor, but they really don't have any fundamental investment experience. So the thing that you need to do is make a decision whether you're looking for a buyer's agent uh, who's actually going to work in the parameters that you set, Mm. or if you're going to work with a mentor that's going to work on your longer term plan and also part of that process is to identify what property is going to help you achieve that goal.
1: Okay, so this is what I'm hearing that buyers advocates or agents will kind of just do what they're told. Correct. And whereas mentors will kind of be like, well, that's that might not actually be right for your strategy, let's do something else. That's kind of what I'm hearing.
2: Well, that's right. Often people um when we start working with them, we ask them a series of questions to find out what they what they want and what they think they want. And often people might say, look, I I don't know what type of property I need. Mm. So you know, rather than starting out with the property, we start out with the end goal. Why are we doing this in the first place? The property comes as a result of going through that process. And we find that most people that are going through a buyer's agent or buyer's advocate haven't really identified what that property looks like, mm. especially for investment purposes. It's very different if you're buying a... Um, A property to live in, yeah. Because if you've got three kids and you've got a jet ski and you've got a four wheel drive and all of these things, and you need a garage for all the kids' toys and all of these things, um, it's it's a lot easier for owner occupied because you've got this set of parameters. And often busy professionals, they're saying, "Look, we we haven't got time to go house hunting because we're working long hours and the kids have got sport and all these things." So Mm -hmm. we know what we're looking for. We just don't have time to go and find it. Typically for owner occupied properties, that's where a buyer's agent. Or a buyers' advocates going to be really powerful, but for investment, it's a very different approach.
1: Are you tired of feeling lost in the world of trading and investing? Get informed and inspired with the Talking Trading Podcast. I'm Louise Bedford, and I'll help you navigate the markets like a pro. Tune in each week and subscribe now at talkingtrading.com.au or on your favourite podcast app or check out the link in the show notes. Talking Trading, this is how traders excel.
0: Have a burning question you want answered on an upcoming episode? Each month we take questions from our listeners and put them to our resident expert, Luke Harris. With more than two decades of residential and commercial investment experience under his belt, Luke has seen the best and the worst of the property market. Visit InvestorIntelligence.com.au forward slash questions and ask us today.
1: Question four. This is from Jay and it's a bit more of a sort of um, circumstantial one. So, I've recently moved to Australia I previously owned property in New Zealand. Um, I think for the sake of this question, that could be any country though. How can that affect my ability to continue buying property in Australia?
2: Look, there's a few probably more questions to ask there. It depends on the 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 property that's in New Zealand and and how that's working. Is there a mortgage on it? Mm. Um, you know what what's the the ultimate outcome? Have you got friends or family living there? Have you got a rental income there? The, the first thing that I would be doing really uh, to continue building a portfolio here in Australia would be to speak to a broker, okay. understand how that income is treated, assuming you've got it rented out. A lot of people in that situation may have a friend or a family member that's sort of renting it and not really going through an agent or a property manager and it's not really documented the right way. So one of the, the first things to do would be make sure that you know any rental income is properly documented. It's uh, coming through on a consistent process it's coming through once a month and it's coming through on the same day but ideally you would want that coming through um, on a property manager's um, uh, documentation on a on a um on a rent statement so that you can show the banks that there is actual genuine income and it is consistent mm-hmm. and it's managed professionally by by a property manager uh, but obviously each lender is different so how they factor in that income uh, depends on what you're working uh, where you're working and what you're doing here in australia that's going to change the the outcome. So, really, the question would be: speak to the broker and find out where your options yeah, are. Yeah,
1: I guess the question is who who to speak to who if to you're speak in that to. situation. Exactly. And I think um, I think our answer to a lot of questions is speak to your mortgage broker. But there's a very good reason for it.
2: Speak to your mortgage broker, but also, um, you know, if your situation is that you're working in Australia now and you're full time and you're setting yourself up here, you probably need to speak to an accountant as well. Sure. Uh, and if you've got an accountant in New Zealand or wherever the property is based, you probably need to loop them in as well and try and work out what's the best strategy that can uh, help you that obviously the laws in New Zealand are different to Australia Mm. as far as tax and and, you know what your obligations are there so obviously if you've got property there you need to factor that in as well and work out you know what your obligations are there as well as over here. Mm, Okay
1: so speak to your team of experts in that case yeah yeah okay so our final question and this is this question comes from our mentors because um, I think in each of these FAQ episodes, it's good to have a question come straight from the mentors because they're the ones who are being asked them all the time. So I approach them. Um, I asked them, what are they being asked a lot at the moment? And we've covered this one many times and we're going to continue to cover it because it's not going away anytime soon. Luke, quick and simple, are interest rates as scary as people think?
2: Oh, absolutely. You're going to be very scared with interest rates. Look, I think that uh, interest rates are just a number and business is all about numbers, okay? And whenever we're looking at uh, our investment portfolio, whether we're getting started uh, or or we've just bought or whether we're about to buy or we've we've been investing for a long time, interest rates are going to go up, down and sideways for the next 10,000 years, right? Mm. It's not going to change. Um, They've been going uh, up in the last six months or so, Previous to that, they spent a few years going down. Yeah. So we're we're still not at the long-term average, right? So interest rates get back up to the retail rate of about 7%, Mm -hmm. 7 Mm 7.5%. That's generally a long-term average, right? And we're still well below that. We're likely to see interest rates continue to go up by a few... Uh, quarter percentage or half percentage points over the next few RBA meetings probably continue to go up to the end of the year. Um, There's talk about interest rates coming down again next year. So look at the end of the day, interest rates are going to be scary for a lot of people because there is so much hype, there is so much doom and gloom, and there is so much media attention on interest rates. And for good reason, and also for not so good reasons, for good reason in that they're making people aware of the struggles that some people are having. There are some families that have mortgaged themselves to the eyeballs to go and buy their property, and now they're in a situation where they can't afford to make those repayments. But it wasn't a surprise to anybody that rates would go up again at some point. Mm. Uh, so those people, uh, as unfortunate as it is, um, have have gone into the market at the lowest interest rates of all time. Uh, what goes down must come up, especially when it comes to money markets and interest rates. So- that's what the media latches onto, and they latch onto a few horror stories where people have really struggled. Um, but look, it's not that I, not that we don't feel sorry for those people, but the reality is is that getting into the, the property market and getting interest rates at all time lows, they've never been so low in mm. this country, and then being surprised when they go up and not having a budget for that, it, it is a very difficult thing to, for me to understand that somebody hasn't budgeted for that. And I might, might sound a bit harsh, um, but at the end of the day, you know, the reality is is that when you're taking on a mortgage and borrowing hundreds of thousands of dollars from a third party, which is usually a bank or another mm-hmm. lender, mm-hmm. Um, you should be aware of your obligations. Yeah. You should be aware of the fact that interest rates can and do go up and down, and you've committed to that. When you sign a mortgage, that's a legal document, and it's a big decision, mm-hmm. right? You should be aware of your obligations under that and factor in a bit of a buffer yep. in your spending. And if you can't afford to pay an extra one or two or three percentage points, you shouldn't be buying a property. Mm. And and as I said, it might sound a bit harsh to a lot of people because, hey, Luke, everyone should be able to buy a home. I get that. But at the same time, you need to be able to afford that uh, and, and have your applications. There's no difference to, to getting a car loan and then all of a sudden you you know you can't afford to make the car repayments it's the same thing you're mm-hmm. going to lose the car so people need to be aware of that from an investor's perspective it is a cost of doing business right you're going to have a rental income you're going to have other expenses council rates are going to go up your uh, you know other costs are going to go up you're going to have repairs and maintenance as your property gets older and of course interest rates are going to be an increase uh, on your expenditure uh, column as well. But at the same time, over over a period of time, your rents will go up. Mm. So it's not across the board that rents are going to go up at the same rate for everybody at the same time. But if you've bought well, and you've got a good investment in a good area, low vacancy rates, you're going to have a lot of demand for that property, and your rent will go up over time. Uh, and it will not necessarily cover the interest rate rises, but it will help to absorb some of that the thing is with interest rate rises is that the interest on your loan is tax deductible. Mm. The principal that you're paying off, it's not tax deductible. You're actually paying back the money that you borrowed. Sure. Interest is the cost of doing business. So when people look at interest rate rises and the fact that rates are going up and that means extra cost, then this is where you really need to work with your mentor and really work closely with your broker and your accountant, make sure that you've maximized your tax uh, tax situation, getting the best you can out of your tax situation, making sure that you're, you're reviewing your loans, making sure that you're maximizing your offset account if you have one, making sure that you understand how and why you're with the lender that you are uh, and potentially refinancing if you're with the mm. wrong lender. So whilst interest rates are going up, lenders still need to lend money to make money. I've always said that the banks and lenders, they're money shops. Yeah. They need to be lending money to make money. So there's always good deals to be had if you know how to shop around and where to go. So don't assume that because rates are going up, you're stuck with that. You can refinance and there are other lenders out there that are still quite competitive and you might find yourself saving several thousand dollars a year by refinancing. Mm. Um, Obviously, again, you need to talk to your mentor and your broker around how to structure that and make sure that you're not paying penalties for cancelling your existing loan. But there are ways to navigate through these interest rate rises and make sure that you're getting the best outcome without just burying your head in the sand and freaking out. Yeah. So yes, it can be scary and it and it cre- can create a bit of uncertainty. But my advice to people that are a little bit worried about interest rates right now is to focus on the long-term goal. Why are you investing in the first place? Why did you get started in property? Mm. And focus on that. And a little bit of short-term pain with some interest rate increases can pay dividends in years to come but I certainly wouldn't recommend selling selling up your portfolio and shutting up shop mm. because if you do that what are you going to do next yeah you still need to invest if you're going to advance your financial situation
1: mm. and I don't think what you were saying before about you know people being having to factor in that bit of a buffer for those extra few percentages i don't think that's harsh i think it's actually just quite sensible mm. to to say that um and that's why we focus so heavily on education um because we find the more educated you are the less terrifying things like interest rates are as well
2: absolutely and the more you understand like i said it's a cost of doing business and you're treating your property portfolio as a business then you're going to understand that you know your your interest cost, which is tax deductible, is a cost of doing that business. Yes, it is a cash flow uh, drain, and some properties, depending on what you've bought, um, depending on the yield and and what you're actually getting in return, um, can actually... You know, cost you hundreds of dollars a month, mm. uh, but it's not a permanent thing. Mm. Your, your uh, costs can be managed, you can refinance, you can put your rents up, you can um, lock in your interest rates, there's fixed rates, there's offset accounts, there's other things that you can do to get the best outcome. We can't just look at interest rates in isolation and say that this is a big scary monster and we need to to go and hide somewhere mm. because there are ways to navigate through that. And like we've always said, is that governments are going to come and go, interest rate rises are going to you know, happen, they're going to go down, they're going to go sideways. There's always things that are going to be uh, headwinds and things that are going to potentially give us reasons to give up. But we just need to keep focused on that long-term goal and understand that sometimes there can be sh- some short-term pain. Or sometimes some inconvenience or extra cost Mm. but we focus on the long term and that's what's going to help us to become successful investors
1: yeah and don't worry the media will continue to push the the story of interest rates are that big scary monster so the
2: media will do what the media will do and if you're getting all of your information from the media then that's a fool's game because at the same time in a year or two years or three years time the media is going to be saying, you know, single single person makes two hundred thousand dollars in six months on their property, and prices are going up again, and mm. it's going crazy, and so the media is is there just to get clicks and views and and um, newspapers sold. And so we shouldn't be making any decisions on the on the media alone and making sure that any of the media stuff that we're reading is actually fitting in with our personal situation and not just freaking out because the media is trying to get everyone to freak out.
1: Yeah, always be critical of any news you consume. Speaking of that and education, we recently released an episode with um, a journalism scholar who spoke about how the media works. And I think that was a really great chat, especially for people who are consumed in that media hype. And also on interest rates, We did a bonus episode with Chelsea, who's our mortgage broker. So go back and listen to that just to get yourself a little bit more educated on that. Uh, Luke, anything else before we wrap up today?
2: Look, we did a September update uh, just recently as well. And look, I think there is always going to be a lot of noise out there. And where we're at in the marketplace right now, it can be a challenging place to feel comfortable about investing But I think the thing that we need to keep reminding ourselves that if it was easy and if it was simple, everybody would be doing it. There are going to be challenges with investing, right? We've never said that it's easy. It is simple, but it's not easy. The best way to get the results that you need from your investment portfolio is to make sure you have a great team of people around you and people that are actually in the market right now buying property. And the property mentors were out there buying properties every single week with our members and getting the best results that we possibly can. But we're doing it with an education focus and making sure that people understand why they're getting into the property market in the first place and how it fits in with their long-term plan. And also making sure that we have the right balance between understanding what's actually going on in the marketplace right now, as opposed to what's going on in the media right now, Mm -hmm. because often they are polar opposites Mm -hmm. or they are not aligned. And we just need to put things into context. So yes, the media reports um, can carry some weight, and they are worth considering. But we certainly don't want to make all of our decisions based on that. Yeah. And I think you know, in this in this climate where we're at right now, there's a lot of a lot of um, noise out there. We just need to be able to cut through that noise. And I think for anyone listening to the podcast right now, obviously have some interest in investing in property. The reality is, is that there's always going to be something that convinces us we shouldn't do it now.
1: Yeah, yep.
2: But what we see time and time again is that people do sit on the sidelines waiting for the perfect time, and there is no perfect time for you. Oh, people waiting. Oh, I'm waiting for changing jobs, and waiting for the baby to be born, and waiting for you know the kids to finish school or whatever it might be, uh, or they're using the media. Interest mm. rates are going up, prices are going up, prices are dropping, uh, builders are going broke. There's always a reason. If we're looking for a reason not to do something, I'm very good at saying, oh, I can't go to the gym because it's too cold. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> I don't want to go outside. Yeah. right? Or, or <laughs> you know, it's, it's really windy outside and I prefer to stay inside and eat some chocolate and have a pasta dish. Mm-hmm. right? But people do that. There's always a reason not to do something. You've got to find the reason why and make sure that the reason to do something is stronger than the reason not to do something.
1: Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, once again, thank you to everyone who's submitted and click the link below in the show notes if you want a question featured on an upcoming episode. Luke, as I said before, it's a pleasure to have you face-to-face today and thank you so much for your time.
2: Thanks, Phoebe.
0: If you found this episode or any of our episodes helpful, please make sure to share and leave a rating to help us reach more people on their investing journeys. And of course, subscribe to be notified when new episodes drop. Make sure to follow the podcast on Instagram at Investor Intelligence Podcast. You can find links to our other socials in the show notes, including a link to the Property Mentors weekly blog. If you are ready to get your property portfolio in shape for financial freedom, check out Luke's latest book, Property Fit. You can get yourself a copy at www.propertyfitbook.com.au.